Welcome to the Bubblehead Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Eric with my co-host Robert here. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Uh, you know, we have a guest on today, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, we're going to be talking about college week two and, or, and uh, reviewing week one as well as uh, looking into NFL week one. Uh, so got a big episode today, and I'm uh, looking forward to it. Uh, but without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, fantasy football Travis M. from Twitter. Uh, and um, if you'd like to introduce yourself and kind of tell everybody what you're uh, about yourself. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Travis May is the name. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at FF underscore Travis M. I've been doing uh, some, I don't know, different fantasy content for about seven years or so. Uh, start out at the Fantasy Authority, which uh, does not really even exist now, but, but been around, uh, covered a couple teams via some uh, beat writing and, and a bunch of uh, practice coverage and training camp coverage and things like that over the years. But uh, but now, I, I, you know, kind of, kind of tried to consolidate things because I got tired of writing in like four or five places at a time. So now most of my stuff is at Rotoviz um, uh, for fantasy football purposes. And then I uh, joined on with uh, the, the solid verbal uh, guys, uh, Dan and Ty, who've been doing college football coverage since 2008. Uh, they relaunched their website and revamped it again. And uh, I'm doing a bunch of stat work for them. So on the college football, real football side, just doing some uh, stuff for them. But yeah, thanks for having me. Just always good to talk football right as things are about to kick off here. Yeah, right. Um, so it's finally time, finally college football time and, and NFL time. So best time of the year, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's just uh, go ahead and jump in here with some news. So, um, you know, I, I think probably the biggest news of the day was George Kittle's groin injury. Um, you know, that just recently came out and started, I think, yesterday. And uh, he's unlikely to play, it looks like. So, uh you know, if you have George Kittle in your lineup, probably need to look for a backup tight end if you didn't draft one already. Um, you guys think it's a long-term injury, or are you worried about it? Well, I mean, yeah. I think anytime you're talking about, like, a groin injury, hamstring injury, injury, um, it, it is uh, kind of frustrating because you uh, miss out on your player and there's no explosiveness even when he's back. Uh, and we have seen over the years – I'm not one of those uh, football injury doc guys on Twitter or anything, but yeah. I have dug into that type of information and hamstrings, groins, different different types of pulls like that typically mean that you're, you're going to miss some games early, and then you're probably <laughs> more often that more often than not going to see it happen and flare up again uh, later in the year. So, really frustrating if if you invested early in Kittle. Yeah, is there anybody that you are specifically targeting, Eric, to to replace Kittle this week or? Uh, yeah, I'd say depending on your your league settings, but you know, hopefully you could have grabbed. Uh, you know, we're talking redraft, obviously. Uh, Cole Komet could be an option. Um, I I think Tyler maybe uh, uh or another potentially good options, but this is what you get. You know, when you invest in George Kittle, proven time and time again, year after year, he has you know missed two four games you know at least you need to have that backup tight end to uh fill in for him yeah yeah and the you know the last little injury piece um that we saw is jk dobbins is not expected to play at least from lamar's mouth um so 
I'm interested to see kind of how that plays out. Um, you know, we haven't heard anything with official injury reports though yet. So I think we're kind of waiting on Friday to really see, we'll see what that looks like, but I don't, I don't expect uh, JK to play. I don't, I don't know if either of you do, but. Um, no, I don't. Um, and in any spot where I had him rostered, I definitely uh, had a short term backup plan put in place as is. I mean, yeah. uh, anytime there's, there's any kind of injury situation that is kind of a long-term play, like an ACL, like an Achilles, anything like that happens. Um, and, and there's still questions as training camp kicks, kicks off. There's still questions as preseason kicks off. Uh, you have to have some kind of pivot option built in, whether it's a, a handcuff option on the same team, like, like even in Justice Hill, somebody that fits that kind of mold and archetype, or really just deciding, hey, look, I know I'm going to be down a running back. I'm going to have to really rely on more wide receiver play this year. And maybe just rely on even just kind of shooting for the stars with a boom bust uh, different flex option uh, for you at wide receiver instead of uh, just trying to plug in, you know, some kind of backup running back, hoping that he gets enough work uh, that would kind of emulate what J.K. Dobbins would give you. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Eric, do you have anything else to kind of add on, on that before we jump into the topic for the week? No, I mean, let, let's just keep on moving. You know, we're I'm excited yeah. to talk about college football and uh, our preview for the NFL. Yeah. So starting off, um, let's talk about Florida and Utah. I think the big story there is Anthony Richardson. Um, you know, Eric and I, you, we got into a bit of argument about it uh, during the game. Um, but, you know, what do you guys think the ceiling is for him, for Anthony Richardson? What do you think the current level of Anthony Richardson is as an NFL prospect? Uh, so we'll start with you, Travis. Sure. So um, with Anthony Richardson, we, we've known for a long time he was kind of a big deal uh, coming out of high school. Uh, there was even rumblings uh, going into, I guess, his senior year that there was actually going to be camera crews falling around him uh, to be involved with the Netflix QB1 series. That ended up not coming to fruition. The series actually ended up getting canceled. But he had a lot of hype just because of the, the dual threat nature of his skill set, even as a late high school. Like he was a top in four star kind of guy ran like a legit four or five in high school. And so we knew that this guy is a huge big body guy with a rocket arm. He has all this potential goes to Florida fights for time, limited action last year, questionable results, you know, against high level competition, in the sec, even against Georgia. Uh, and so we didn't really, we couldn't really confidently proclaim, Hey, this guy is going to be the next big deal, but we all saw the potential yeah, for those of you who follow recruiting, follow college football very closely. Uh, we, we knew that there was potential for him to be an early round draft pick. And in a recent uh, piece I actually put together at Rotobiz, uh, my top 100 future fantasy football stars, uh, I actually had him around uh, pick 30 overall, uh, even prior to the season beginning in terms of like future rookies to come, like players are going to be drafted 2023, 2024, 2025. Uh, even including individual defensive players, like I had a few of the defensive guys ahead of him, like Will Anderson for Alabama, uh, Jalen Carter for Georgia, a few other guys. But I was pretty confident that he was going to prove himself this year, and he did exactly that. And I think you probably have to move him up even higher. Uh, and the expectation might be at this point that he looks like a first-rounder already. And I know it's just one game, but we already knew and have known for multiple years that the potential was there. So it's just finally coming to uh, really just reveal itself, uh, and it's super exciting. Yeah, you know, I, I think he definitely has first-round potential, 
Um, but right now I think he's right around like a second or third round pick just because of the, you know, the athleticism, it's all there. Like he has all the tools necessary, but for me, it's just the decision-making, you know, he has to improve in the decision-making and the accuracy um, before I feel like a team will invest super heavily. I feel like he's right now, he's right around that, like um, Jalen hurts tier. And he's kind of bleeding over into the Lamar tier in terms of like an NFL draft prospect. Um, you but if, if he can improve the, you know, the decision-making and the accuracy, I think he easily jumps into the top end of the first round and maybe even first overall. So, um, but what do you, what do you think, Eric? I mean, if we're talking ceiling uh, with Anthony Richardson, it's 101 in startup drafts. That's the ceiling. Uh, we, we saw it against Utah. Utah is a good football team. Uh, a lot of people are going to shit on Utah for losing to Florida, but guess what? You know, they had two times were inside the five first and goal, and they came up with zero points both times and lost to a very different uh, Florida than we're used to in the last couple of years. Um, but this is a big, strong, powerful, fast quarterback, right? You know, ceiling is as high as it gets. Um yeah. There are definitely going to be some people out there screaming, oh, he's 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 one for 2023, you know, game. That's a little fast for me. You know, I want to see more. I want to see more improvement. Not even improvement, just like performance. I want to see him go, you know, I want to see him go to uh, play Kentucky's coming uh, into town this week. Will Levis is coming. Can he outplay Will Levis? And he challenged Georgia. Uh, that, that's what I want to see. Uh, but the ceiling is his gets. Yeah. So what what uh, prospects are you looking forward to from the, that you saw in that Florida Utah game? Uh, I know this was a big game for you. You were uh, you really wanted to talk about this game. So what's what's kind of your your idea of who uh, you want to see or you want who you want to see more of? Uh, the the one reason I was looking forward to this game was Anthony Richardson by far. Um, I thought that he had a fantastic game. Uh, side of Richardson, uh, Montreal Johnson was – I was a big fan of Montreal Johnson, and I was a little – the um, like a split backfield. Um, Montreal Johnson, he had he had 12 for 75 with a touchdown. He did a fumble. But, like, he showed that he's talented, right? He elevated from uh, uh, University of Louisiana Lafayette, uh, and he – you know, with Bill Napier last came up to Florida and he looked good. Um, but Trevor Etienne is he flash, like you know, n- name value obviously is a thing. Trevor Etienne looked pretty darn good to me. Um, the only player really that I was semi excited about for Utah was uh, Rank Puth, tight end that that second tight end, right? Everyone knows Dalton Kincaid if you're in the Devi world. Uh, but Brent Cooth was the uh, he had over 100 yards, you know, he was just making play after play. Um, yeah, um, I, you know, I agree with those. You know, I, I think it was a uh, Florida was an interesting situation. Um, they, they definitely had some the split black backfield, and I, I think it was impressive. Um, Travis, uh, you know, what, what are there any prospects that we didn't mention that you were kind of interested in in the Florida, Utah? Uh, sphere or um yeah so i mean i was probably one not ones that you didn't mention i think i was intrigued just to see who was going to emerge as the prominent wide receiver one for florida and early returns looks like it's uh, xavier henderson 
Uh, looks like he could be the volume play. Uh, no one was super explosive necessarily and didn't have a lot of volume in the passing game necessarily from the Florida wide receivers. But yeah, he is definitely intriguing. He, uh, of course, his brother has already made it to the league as a cornerback, um, CJ Henderson. Not not a bunch of success there, but um, just an interesting story. He was a high pedigree guy that we all had on our radar. I think a lot of us long-term Debbie nerds wanted uh, you know, Justin Shorter to be a thing, uh, but probably not going to be at this point. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, tight end, Debbie tight ends are really hard to come by, but uh, Utah looks like they have a couple of them. And yeah. so obviously, uh, I, uh, I think it's uh, uh, not uh, Kincaid, but Kuth, it's, I, I always mess up. It's, I've heard it, I've heard pronounced like announcers say Keithy, Kuthy, like, like I've heard all sorts of stuff like over the last five years that he's been in college, but he's been a big deal even since he was a sophomore. So I think he does get drafted. I just don't think it. He, I don't think he gets very early capital. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's really just the Anthony Richardson show that I was really excited about. And you know, maybe next year ETN really flashes and see more sees more work. But just odd to me uh, how Florida, even with multiple co- coaching staffs, use their uses the running backs. Maybe it's just because. It's just where we are right now. But, you know, Nick on right had like 10 touches. Um, you know, ETN had like seven touches. And, uh, and then Macho Johnson had like 15 touches. Like They still spread it around like crazy. So I, I will be interested just to see where those touches go and if anyone really takes over as a feature back or if we're just going to be in for another ugly kind of committee uh, down yeah. the stretch. Yeah, so moving on to Ohio State and Notre Dame. Um, so I was actually – I didn't think Ohio State looked great offensively. You know, it looked like they started kind of slow, and then they picked it up in the second half. Um, Eric, do you think – is there anything to read into there? Is there any any actual, like, news, or is it just, like, is Notre Dame better than we thought they were going to be in terms of, like, you know, that they were placing a lot of talent? Like, you know, what do you, what do you kind of think about that? My, my takeaway was Emeka Buka, uh, right? Uh, JSN, Jackson Jigba, for most people, he's a wide receiver one, if not wide receiver two uh, in Debbie. He went down very early with an injury. And it was Emeka Buka, not Marvin Harrison Jr., to be the uh, primary target for CJ Stroud. Um, I think that look at the Ohio State performance and think, oh, let me downgrade C.J. Stroud. Let me downgrade the Ohio State offense. That's a Because Notre Dame is a good football team, fifth team in the country. Whether or not they earn that or not, they're still a very good football team. And they played a two-high safety look almost the entire game. And they said, we're going to slow the tempo down. We're going to run the ball. We're going to, you know, try and bow constrict this and hopefully, you know, have a turnover or two and, you know, steal a win. So I thought C.J. Stroud was impressive. QBR of 89.5. Still had a 6.6 average per attempt. Um, Didn't have an interception. He just took what was there, right? He had his best weapon was gone, and he just took what was there. He got the win, you know, week one against a good football team. I I personally was very impressed by C.J. Stroud's performance, and – you know, for those that had invested in Emeka Buka as the huge five-star, you know, talent as a as a freshman, as you know, a year ago, I think that we were rewarded because we we saw what he can be. Yeah, what do you think, Travis? Uh, you on the same page there? Or? 
I think, you know, Ibuka and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Jackson Smith and Jigwa, they were going to be the top three. Fleming um, obviously wasn't in, but he's probably going to be the the fourth option that rotate, rot- rotates in and out some with uh, Ibuka and uh, Harrison Jr. and Jackson Smith and Jigwa, focal point of the offense uh, when healthy all season long. I, it was good to see them utilize uh, Ibuka's explosiveness, um, just finding ways to get him the ball when there weren't uh, healthier options around him. It was really intriguing just to see them go to a walk-on uh, and kind of a big moment there with uh, Xavier Johnson. Uh, really cool to see him actually uh, get an opportunity uh, in such a crowded wide receiver room. But yeah, I, I'm really still high on the entire trio of uh, Harrison Jr., you know, Ibuka and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Fleming, I, I don't know. I'd love to see him actually do something at this point, but it, it, it's going to be really hard for him to... Uh, to reach his one-time super high expectations and potential. Uh, but yeah, I, I, we knew going in that um, it was going to be a tough ask to ask Notre Dame to keep up with Ohio State. So rather than trying to do so, they just slowed the game down from the get-go. They were milking the clock from the very first drive. <laughs> like They averaged like almost 34 full seconds per play, which is taking up almost the entire clock just about every single time, you know, just to even get the playoff like it was crazy so they were the second slowest offense in the entire country this this week and so they were just basically oh, look, let's just try to keep it close uh maybe you know there's a couple mistakes that are made and uh we're just in this at the very end and that really worked for like three plus quarters of the game and so i bravo to mark freeman for just identifying the best approach to slow down this high-flying offense and so yeah I'm I'm still very high, very bullish on the Ohio State offense as a whole. Trevion, Trevion Henderson, even uh, Lion Williams actually impressed too. So really, really, no, I'm not worried about them. You know, they're going to crush everyone else. The Notre Dame just had good enough uh, line play to to stick it to them and, and stop them enough. Uh, like guys like Foskey and, and they really, I mean that they, they had enough up front to kind of. Uh, challenge and, and at least at least make cj stroud kind of think for a moment um and then really on the offensive side of the ball they just had a really smart game plan there too with with notre dame that is i mean buckner his average depth of target this week was over 11 yards downfield like i know that first play was kind of like a, a dink and dunk uh option that just went for longer yardage but like when they were taking shots it was they were going for a very efficient plays like he only had like 16 or 18 pass attempts on the entire game tyler buckner that is but they were they were trying to go for the the, the quick strike on a on a slow pace uh, and even you know pri- prioritizing the outside run uh, when they could to take the higher expected outcome from even the rushing game. So they're playing low volume, high efficiency strikes to get one or two scores, and they got one, <laughs> and and that worked. But uh, you know against Ohio State, it's just really going to be tough at any point to even stay in the game. And I I don't think that anyone else on the entire schedule even stays within 11 points all season long for Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this game was, like you guys said, it, you know, it was Ohio, it was Notre Dame slowing the game down, right? Um, I think with Ohio State, their best bet to be beat is is Michigan. But Michigan, you know, I, I haven't seen enough from the quarterback play from Michigan, at least to, you know, to see that they're going to beat Ohio State. Um, I agree with you guys about the like the quarterback play, the wide receiver play. I think everything's going to be uh, just as I, I think this was the low, probably the lowest scoring game for them of the season. Um, and, I, and I think you're going to expect good things from the offense for the rest of the year. Uh, 
So, um, but let's go on to North Carolina and Appalachian State. So this was probably the most exciting game of the season, uh, or at least week one. Um, and we'll see if that holds true for the rest of the year. Uh, back and forth affair, North Carolina, you know, great offensive performance, uh, terrible defensive performance. Uh, it's looking, honestly, it seems like my pick on Drake may, you know, being one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL or in the, in the ACC, excuse me. Um, but the team being like, you know, seven and five, eight and four, looks like that's going to probably be a pretty good prediction. Uh, Eric, what did you take away from the game itself? Uh, real quick, Drake may is very good at football. Uh, UNC is very bad at defense. You know, it's about that simple. Like, <laughs> this was the best game of week one, in my opinion, by far. Um, it was so fun. But App State should not – shouldn't be nearly, you know, beating UNC, you know, with the talent they've recruited. Especially when you get that type of quarterback play. Yeah. Yeah, Travis, did you have anything – any other thoughts on that other than kind of what we're saying or <laughs> – I mean, it has to be the only time in, in the history of the game that a team scores 40 points in the final quarter and then loses. Like, <laughs> there's no way that's ever happened before. So that's that's incredibly sad for Appalachian State. But, man, what a, what a freaking game. Like, that was that was incredible. Uh, I had to rewatch it and just, like, like how did this even how did this even happen? Like, I mean, I just I, – I, the amount of time that they, they just scored, it was back and forth, back and forth. You, you think it's over and then Appalachian – State scores in like 10 seconds, and it's just how in the world is this happening? So um, probably, not, yeah, my favorite game thus far. Uh, Drake May against, uh, you know, in week one anyway, they, they he looked a little bit slow out of the gate, you know, in terms of his processing, but still found great success. He did not look slow at all. He looked comfortable and uh, amazing <laughs> just up and down uh, the field. Uh, every single drive it just looked really comfortable. So he's going to put up some absolutely bonkers numbers, and he's going to have to, uh, given how horrible the North Carolina defense has been. I am intrigued, though, just to see where they go um, with the running back uh, split moving forward because like, if you look at uh, the snaps and usage through two weeks, they have four running backs on their team that all have at least 33 snaps, but they have zero running backs with more than 41 snaps. So they have four guys. Uh, across the the two weeks in between 33 and 41 snaps. And I don't know where they're going to go. I think my bet long term would be George Petaway. He's the most explosive. Uh, he's got the highest pedigree. Amari Hampton had the, the great week one, whatever. But I think George Petaway is the guy that's going to run away with that job. And eventually it looks similar to that Javante Williams and Michael Carter stack uh, from just a couple years ago. Yeah. And these are all young guys too. These aren't like, like old running backs. Like these are all, you know, young freshman or yeah yeah so um you know i i think this is going to be a great running back room and i think you could see all three of these guys drafted like i don't think that's like a stretch to say that all three could get drafted in the nfl um but uh eric do you have anything else about notre dame or not notre dame north carolina that you want to talk about i I just hope you're right travis about uh petaway being the guy uh, Petaway actually went to high school about nine miles from where I live. So, uh, I'm quite the, uh, George Petaway Homer. So yeah. Nice. Yeah. And it, and it was cool just to see also one last thing is, uh, he didn't get a bunch of targets, but 
I was intrigued to see who would, you know, out snap everybody and be the kind of every down wide receiver uh, when Josh Downs, uh, you know, was out. Um, and that was kind of a surprise for those that play college football DFS. But Gavin Blackwell was the guy who was like the every single down wide receiver. So he actually through two weeks is by far uh, the team leader in snaps. And so we'll see if that translates to more targets, uh, more opportunity, because uh, I, I was a fan of him even coming out. So he was, you know, top 250 ish overall recruit coming into the process. Uh, but uh, yeah, he looks like the team really trusts him already too. So if there's going to be a second option outside of Nesbitt, of course, at, at tight end uh, and uh, pace hour this week looked like he was an okay option, but Blackwell might be the long-term kind of wide receiver two opposite of downs. Yeah. So let's go on to Florida state LSU. I, this was an, a very interesting game as well. You know, go went down to the absolute wire. Um, I, I think it kind of had the, uh, questionable decision with the refs in terms of the last second of the game there. Um, but for me, Florida State LSU, I think the story for many people is, is Florida State back or is LSU that, that bad? Um, I will go to you, Travis, first because I'm a huge LSU homer. So I will <laughs> let you go first before I give my opinion. <laughs> So I'm sorry. What what was the question exactly? Um, for Florida State LSU, which yeah, um, what did you take away from it? Is Florida State back, or is LSU going to be just a bad team? Um, I think it's a little bit of uh, neither. I, it was really disappointing that uh, Mason Smith is going to be out. I guess for the entire season now, uh, he was an absolute monster in terms of recruiting, and uh, even last year as a true freshman, he was just really dominant in in some. Uh, and sometimes times and places for LSU. So that's interior defensive lineman, Mason Smith going to be missing time. That was huge. And for him to go down when he did, I think that definitely negatively affected the game for LSU. Uh, but Jaden Daniels, uh, when he was announced the starter, that wasn't a surprise to me. They have, they have clear offensive line issues for LSU. And so they're going to go with the quarterback. That's going to mask those issues the best. And uh, Daniels just kind of, you know, his first read's not there and he kind of took off running. And that was the game plan. <laughs> it seemed like that that was going to be the only way they were going to uh, find success because Florida State, their their front was incredible. Like Jared Verse, I believe, had nine pressures or something like that on the game, which was incredible. You know, of course, the, the biggest transfer acquisition for Florida State this week, uh, this offseason, this week, <laughs> this offseason for them. So to see Florida State's defensive front be as dominant as they were, uh, not super surprising given the LSU's uh, offensive line uh, was shaky and then starting a couple of young guys, especially on the left side. But man, Florida State, they always had the potential. They always had some talent. Uh, it was just good to see that actually mean something. And when Jordan Travis was healthy last year, Florida State was actually already good. Uh, they just didn't have him in all their games. And Jordan Travis actually low key had like, you know, 85th percentile pass efficiency profile last season on top of being a really solid runner. And that showed up again. Like he was clearly the superior passer to, uh, to Jaden Daniels. And uh, I think, you know, he's back Florida state might not be all the way back, but Jordan Travis, he's legit. Um, so to see him pair that mobility with pass efficiency against an LSU front that has some dudes on it was a lot of fun. Uh, and they, they're clearly, um, they're a lot deeper at wide receiver too. So they're not all the way back. Uh, I think they're going to struggle. They're going to find creative ways to lose because that's who they've been. But um, it was cool to see Travis, uh, Jordan Travis, be as good as he was. And cool to see LSU with a mobile quarterback, honestly, just because that's not really how they go. Um, 
but I really would have would have loved to see the wide receiver play be a ton better for LSU. But I'm not again, just like Ohio State, they have the talent, they have the skill. I think there's going to be more opportunity down the stretch to get that right. Yeah, I think part of the you know the reason that the wide receiver room struggled this past week was they the Jaden Daniels he had to run the ball a lot. Um, you know, he, the first read broke down and he was he had to he had to get out of the pocket or he was getting sacks. Like, yeah, you know. Um, Eric, what do you think? Uh, are you on the same page here um, with us? Yeah. I think my big thought is that these are two teams that have brand name mission but are not good at actual football. Um, Florida State might be turning the corner, and I think LSU will turn the uh, with Brian Kelly. I am a big fan of Bradley, but the offensive line is Garbage. It, re- it really is. And uh, Jaden Daniels, you, you said it well. Uh, if the first read wasn't there, he just – well, guess what? He's got Keishon Butte, who's arguably the best wide receiver in the country, uh, and also Malik Neighbors, although a horrible punt returner apparently because uh, he two punts and had two fumbles there. But actually a very promising wide receiver for the 2024 NFL uh, you know, looked very good in Kute's absence last year and, you know, was basically the talk of fall camp for LSU. Um, you know, they got two good players. LSU is always talented. That You know, we always know that. You know, they won the championship, you know, just a few years ago. The issue is, is it's like a culture thing. I, you know, I don't know. They're almost like the Dallas Cowboys, but like, you know, almost more successful. Uh, you know, they always have the talent, but it seems they typically uh, underperform. Um, I'm more interested in these players than I am the team. Uh, but I'm with you, Trey. I think that Jordan Travis uh, was very exciting. Uh, showed some real ability with his arm. So, you know. That... Yeah. So – I'll say one one thing about LSU though. Um, it's hard to judge the talent, especially like at running back um, and quarterback, because of how bad the offensive line was. Um, so you know, a couple of players I'm interested in for just the running back room at LSU have always been uh, you know John Emery and and Armani Goodwin. I think until the offensive line improves, though, you're not going to see big numbers from either of them. Um, and and just want to say I, I want to say that LSU is probably going to be a six to seven win football team this year. I don't I don't see any reason they would be any higher than that, um, just because of how difficult the schedule is. You know, playing all the other teams in the SEC West, but um, you know, Florida State they could be a nine nine win team this year. Uh, I, I think. Um, but uh, do you guys have anything else, Eric? Do you have anything else about uh, this game or? No, no, that's it. All right. So Clemson and Georgia Tech. Um, so for me, my the big story here was DJ use struggles. Uh, you know, Georgia Tech's not like a great football team. And despite what the final score said, you know, DJ U just really didn't put very many good drives together. You know, he had a couple, but you know, I, th- I think he showed the same issues that that a lot of people had had as as issues last year. Um, you know, Travis, do you have anything about DJU? Are you completely out on them? Or I think uh, you know we're, we're always about the new shiny thing, and uh, to me, um, yeah, he actually looked markedly better 
than he did last year. Overall, his decision making was clean. Uh, took a second to get things going, but he made some really good passes. Um, about the middle point of the game and late in the game, he made some really good passes to get them in position to win. Uh, he's going to have to do a whole lot more and really find that rhythm. But there's a lot of pressure on him right now, having uh, Cade Club making five-star behind him. Everybody just being constantly addicted to trashing this guy. Um, and, you know, that's just where we are as a culture. People love to just pile on. But uh, I think he still has every bit of the talent that we saw uh, coming into the process, being a top two, three overall kind of kid in this entire class, um, in his entire recruiting class, that is. And uh, he's got the the size, the arm strength, uh, needs to learn how to take it off uh, a little bit. Um, but, man, it's so funny. Like, the smaller sample that we saw in, uh, you know, his true freshman year, uh, he was like a 93rd, 94th percentile efficient kind of passer. Uh, and then he dropped all the way to, like, the ninth percentile. <laughs> it's like the widest span in my entire database uh, year over year of anybody. Uh, and that happens when you uh, open up week one last year against Georgia and uh, do absolutely nothing because your offensive line caves against perhaps the best defense of all time. And he just never recovered. Uh, we need to see that here soon. Otherwise, uh, whether it makes sense to do so or not, fans are going to basically try to shove him out the door and uh, continue to uh, get on the club, club neck hop train. But, uh, but that's okay. I mean, like that's just the nature of it. Uh, maybe he'll get a fair shot somewhere else. Uh, but I, I think he's going to be just fine. If, if Clemson wanted to roll with him all season long, they'd probably lose at most one game and be in the playoff mix. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a slight disagreement. I, I do think the offense looked just a slight bit. I, I think they did look a little bit better, especially with Klubnik. Um The issue, though, is that that was in the garbage time of the game, right? That's like the very last drive of the game. Uh, so it's really not a great sample. Um, they clearly had it. It was basically, hey, look, th- this is your, these are your scripted one reads. We're going to give you an ISO kind of like, hey, look, we're going to roll you out. You have one read to make, the high or low. That's it. And that worked. Uh, Klubnik was good. I, I just wish they would do that kind of thing more creatively some with DJ because he has the mobility and, and speed to make that kind of uh, that kind of play as well. But, yeah, that, that would be fun just to see them give him that kind of opportunity too. But we'll see. I think the biggest issue is just going to be the wide receiver play. Antonio Williams, a true freshman, is already the best wide receiver on the team. So that's yeah, the- probably a problem. <laughs> like they have all these big trees uh, that are just slow and can't separate. Uh, apparently can't catch either. Uh, so they're going to have to really figure out the wide receiver, wide receiver position fast. And the correct answer is uh, give about half your receiving yard target, you know, receiving targets to Antonio Williams like now. Yeah. Eric, do you have anything else about the Clemson? Anything you want to talk about? Well, I just got to say thank you, Travis. I, I did realize that I was not alone for the defender of DJ Ulele. Um I, I agree. I think that the biggest issue is Dabo Sweeney. And Dabo Sweeney hired within uh, the offense coordinator. He refuses to go outside the pro. He, I mean, like, offense is so rudimentary. Um, they, their offense line is garbage. Their receiving weapons are garbage. You're right. It's true freshman is by far the best candidate, which doesn't make sense for a team with Clemson's previous uh, success. Clay Kupnik, yeah. uh, you know, they, they, why can't you said it right, Travis? Why can't we see DJU, you know, with these rollout plays? Why can't we see that offense with 
with DJU. That's what I want to see. Get them, you know, out of that, uh, you know, away from the bad offensive line. Um, just zero creativity. Team, just frustrating. Yeah. He refuses to hire without, you know, uh, the program. And I think that's going to be the downfall. So, uh, they're going to be very good. This defense is elite, super elite. Yeah. You know, they're they're going to win 10 games. You know, they might win a lot. Um, but their ceiling is, I think, being stomped by Dabo. Um, I think they need to find a way to get a real, you know, offensive scheme. I, I believe in DJU. Um, I you. I at this point, I think, you know, a transfer is probably the the best way for DJU to prove his talents because confidence is is scarred. Yeah, so let's jump into Ole Miss and Troy. Eric, this was your your pick that you really wanted to talk about. So I'll let you have the floor and let you, you know, kind of uh, say what you want. Go ahead. I mean, the big takeaway for me is that uh, Zach Evans is a superstar. Uh, Zach Evans, you know, we, we saw like little hits last year. But really, I think Zach Evans can contend for being, you know, RB certainly RB2, if not RB1. Uh, my big takeaway from this is a lot of people are super excited about Jackson Dart. Uh, Jackson Dart against Troy looked like, what did we have? We had um, five, five to seven yards per attempt. You know, a decent QBR, but, you know, because he has decent, you know, use of his legs. But, like, this is against Troy. They should run up the score the way they did against, you know, Oregon, which, you know, by the way, or Oregon is supposed to be a good football thing. But, you know, the way Alabama did, uh, you know, the way most of these good quality teams did against Week O. Uh, so my takeaway is if they improve drastically in the passing game, Old Miss is not a, you know, a double-digit win uh, team, you know, in 2022, they were, they were last year. Yeah, it was always questionable, I think, just to invest heavily into uh, Jackson Dart. And it looks like Ole Miss might not even be doing that. So Altmaier is going to get more run in the coming weeks, uh, or coming week, rather. And we'll see who they actually land with. But there was a lot of hype surrounding Jackson Dart because even in recruiting circles, he was kind of a three-star kid, but quickly rose through the ranks thanks to some 7-on-7 seven, seven, seven seven success and final season success for Dart. Uh, and then when he actually came in, in place of uh, Slovis, his his one game, his first game rather, was uh, it, it looked pretty good because he had to throw the ball almost 50 times, added some value with his legs, had almost 400 passing yards, and then he really didn't actually have a good game the rest of the entire season unless you count the, the performance against BYU as like an okay one, but they still lost. And so really Jackson Dart did nothing outside of his one performance last year. So the potential is still there, but um, yeah, rough start for Dart. <laughs> Yeah, the one person I want to mention is Michael Trigg, right? You know, he we're looking for the next big thing at tight end in Debbie. You know, Michael Trigg at least was a pretty decent option for that as a candidate for that, um, you know, other than the top tier guys. But, uh, you know, he had a over 20% target per, uh, percentage, and, you know, that's pretty good for a tight end, right? You know, so he's looking like he could be the one of the top options for them. And, and you know, that's interesting going forward in Debbie and C2C. Absolutely. And then not to mention you know, the one guy who will probably follow up 
Uh, Evans as the lead option there for uh, Ole Miss in the run game after Evans is probably a top 50 overall pick next spring. Quinchon Jud- Judkins, who was uh, not a super high pedigree guy, but the team liked and uh, committed to and uh, offered him super early. Judkins chose Ole Miss and, uh, you know, he paid off. He had, I think, uh, 15, 16 touches for Ole Miss in, in week one as the clear running back two for the team. So he'll be somebody I'm really interested in watching moving forward too. Yeah. All right. Well, let's yeah, move I, on to – oh, go ahead. Sorry. Of Judkins. <laughs> yeah. All right. So week two, uh, Eric, do you want to his, uh, talk about why you're interested in the two uh, teams up there? Yeah, I mean, Florida, Kentucky is really easy. It's Anthony Richardson's uh, and it's Levis. Uh, these are two Bs that very could be first-round draft picks in the 2023. Um, personally, I I want to say Kentucky is going to get the better of uh, going down to the swamp. Um, you know, Florida, a lot of people are probably high on their win against Utah. My only reservation for Kentucky is their offensive line looks terrible. Um, I think they found some some players to kind of, you know, be weapons for love, but I am definitely worried about that offensive line. Um, That's it, a quarterback battle for me, right? It's it's Richardson, it's Lovis. Those are the people I'm, uh, you know, interested in. Uh, Bama, Texas, I mean, Bama, like, come on. We know the names. Um, Texas. I'm wondering is Quinn Ewers going to have the uh, DJU experience of 2021 right? going against a amazing defense? Are we going to see, you know, quick get broken the way DJU got broken against Georgia last year? Um, you know, I, I, I think Bama wins by at least two touchdowns. I think it's probably more likely they win by three. Uh, the question is, is can, Bijan actually like do something against that defense because I mean Bijan's amazing. Don't get me wrong, but like you know, you said it earlier, Travis, great Jorgens was last year one of the all time best. Bama, honestly, you know, I think this year is gonna gonna compare pretty well against them. You know, as a as a defensive unit, um, can Quinn Ewers with those weapons, right? Uh, Sanders looked really tight end. Uh, we know. You know, Worthy is a, is a great player. Uh, can they make plays? That's what I'm interested in. Against such a level of competition, can they make some plays? I don't expect them, you know, honestly, be even competitive, but I'm just hoping to see some production. Yeah, I think it'll be a miracle uh, for them to keep it within three scores. I know the line's like right around 20 points right now, but if they keep it to three touchdowns, that's a miracle in my mind. Because like, there's just no way. Like, Alabama has the advantage at, at literally every position, um, and in most places, it's not even remotely close. Like Bryce Young, it was it's like a fr- freaking pre- preseason game. Like through through five touchdowns, ran in another touchdown in 32 minutes of total gameplay last week, and against Utah State. Like that's that's broken. Like that's 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 like not even trying on like rookie mode of a video game. Like that's. Just absolutely nuts, and so yeah. Good luck, Quinn Ewers. Good luck, Xavier Worthy. Hope you don't get don't get break broken in half. Bijan, just uh, find a way to you know have your team you know cramp up or something early, so you don't don't get injured, man. Save your draft capital. It's gonna be really ugly. It's gonna be like I mean, thirty points plus wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. And then Florida, 
Florida's going to kill Kentucky because Kentucky couldn't protect Will Levis against Miami of Ohio last week, man. That's that's a joke. Miami of Ohio lost so many players, and they, they bring in these like no-star kids, and uh, they rush successfully time and time again against Kentucky against the very much not a first-round pick Will Levis. Like, uh, Will Levis, I mean, he's got some tools. That's cool. He eats some weird stuff. That's funny. But uh, he last year he was a 67th percentile and like uh, pass efficiency kind of profile guy, which basically says, hey, guys, what's up? I'm undraftable. Um, and so unless he really improves with lesser weapons this year, Will Levis is not going to be a first-round pick, and he's going to get exposed real hard uh, against a team like Florida and let alone uh, some better defenses later in the year, year too. So I'm not I'm not worried about Florida covering, and I'm not worried about Alabama covering. The, the, there's the talent level across the board, and at the peak spots and most important spots, like quarterback, not close for Florida, Kentucky, and uh, Ewers has potential to get there, but he's not there yet. Just too early. Yeah, I don't have anything to add about either of those. I think both those are spot on. Um, so for me, USC, Stanford, and Baylor first BYU, uh, continuing with the quarterback battle here, right? Um, so for USC, how does Caleb Williams look against better competition with Lincoln Riley's offense? I think Lincoln Riley and USC are going to walk all over Stanford. Um, I don't think you know, the defense, though, is going to look nearly as good as it did last week. Um, so I think it could be a shootout, if anything. Um, Baylor, BYU, I just want to see uh, um, Jaron Hall. Um I want to see what he looks like against better competition. And Baylor's a really good football team. Um, but I don't expect BYU to win this game at all. Um, what do you guys think? Travis? It would be real tough for BYU uh, to beat Baylor. And that's just because they had immense success last week. They averaged like eight and a half yards per carry. Per carry. That's cool. That's not going to happen this week, man. Baylor uh, last year was like top 10 in the nation in stopping rush efficiency. And so – that's going to be a really tough matchup. It's going to be all on the shoulders of Jaron Hall. And so I don't, I don't know because uh, their wide receiver health is, again, in question going into this week. So Baylor's going to find a way. They're going to win, and it might not be very close. Um, and they're probably going to get more on track in the ground game too. Uh, USC, I mean, Caleb Williams had like the best true freshman season of all time last year. Like a 90th, 95th percentile pass efficiency and 450-plus yards on the ground in like – eight starts ish. Like, I mean, that's, that's insane what he was doing last year. Uh, and so goes over same offensive system has even better wide receivers with Mario Williams still there. Jordan Addison still there. And then like their, their backups to the backups to the backups at USC are still where they're super, super deep. They had took in a uh, bunch of transfers and then they, you know, their wide receiver five, six, seven, still four-star kid. Uh, like even Kyron Ware Hudson, like he's like, I, I'm still high on him. <laughs> like he, it's just, they're deep. On offense, defense is going to have some questions, but they're going to take care of business. Yeah. Eric, do you have anything about uh, USC, USC, Stanford, Baylor, BYU? Um, my, my point is more about USC, not to say anything against the offensive weapons, because you're right, Robert and Travis, they're, they're excellent. Like we're talking first-round draft capital and the NFL draft type of players. My real thing has to do with their ability to play in the college football playoff. Their defense is not good. Their defense is really bad. They had three, I believe it was three pick sixes last year, uh, last week. And Rice actually moved the ball. Uh, in their first four drives, I believe they had two 60-plus yard drives against them. 
Rice shouldn't be doing that against, you know, a college football playoff team. Um, I think that USC, you know, will be good. And in two years, they'll probably going to be in the college football playoffs. But I will bet good money that their demons is going to cost them at least two games this year. Um, and people are going to be pretty disappointed. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I think I even took the under. I think there it was like nine and a half or something for USC, and I took the under just because I thought they're they're going to find a way to ruin it. It's not going to be Caleb Williams' fault. It's not going to be anybody on the offense's fault. It's going to be that defense when they get into the really tough parts of their schedule, and they're just going to find a way to ruin it. So uh, it's probably not going to be this week, but uh, yeah, it might be closer than we than we think just because of the the defensive woes there that uh, are definitely coming. Stanford they looked better than they probably should have last week because uh, really that that the long run that EJ Smith had. I think it was 80 plus yards that that really skewed their stats a little bit in terms of averages, uh, but they, they can do some more on the ground, I think this week against USC. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that will be fun to watch because, you know, EJ Smith is of course Emmett Smith's son. So I, I hope he finds a way to, to produce some this year for Stanford. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to the NFL. So there's uh, the two games that, you know, each me and Eric are both looking to is Chiefs Cardinals and Commanders versus Jaguars. Uh, so I just want to see which uh, Patrick Mahomes looks like against uh, without his Tyreek Hill um, and see, you know, what does that offense look like without Tyreek Hill? So, uh, where, Eric, what about you? I mean, you know, if we're talking that game, I, I believe Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the world, you know, uh, so I'm not too worried about that. I'm more interested in the Cardinals side. What is Hollywood Brown going to look like in this offense? Uh, what are they going to look without DeAndre Hopkins? Um, I, I think we're looking at a total shootout in this one. Um, yes, Tyler Kill is an enormous loss, but I think Mahomes is good enough, and uh, I think Andrew Reid's good enough that they can make up – uh, what about the Commanders and the Jags? I mean, this is all about Trevor Lawrence for me. Uh, I, I honestly, sure, yeah, I'm kind of interested about Jahan Dotson, like, but mainly like, interested Jahan Dotson is by Carson Wentz. I, I don't think Carson Wentz is a great, you know, NFL quarterback. I actually like him a lot more in fantasy than I do in uh, the NFL. But I'm really interested to see what uh, Trevor Lawrence can do without Urban Meyer directing the team. I think that this is a great opportunity with they invested a lot of money. They put some money into the line. They brought in, obviously, everyone wants to scoff at the uh, Christian Kirk contract they gave. Um, I'm really curious to see if Trevor Lawrence can show the talent that we all you know, expected from this player. I'm expecting Trevor Lawrence to find success this year. Um, last year was just an absolute mess for the Jaguars. So I hope that Trevor Lawrence just absolutely stomps the commanders. And I hope part of it also comes because Carson Wentz reveals uh, who he's been all along, which is a very mediocre quarterback that makes poor decisions when things really count. So much so that it frustrates them to the point that they bench him and put in the, the best quarterback on the team, which is Sam Howell. That would be absolutely hilarious. Uh, to see that in week one, it's not going to be the case. But, man, I'd love to see it because I, I really love Sam Howell. Uh, I think, uh, you know, he, what he was asked to do in his final season for North Carolina, which was to put the entire team, the weight of all 100 players on his back and carry them every single week, which is disrespectful. 
uh, and for teams to, you know, like analysts to watch like, you know, just his final season and think they have everything figured out with how is just laughable. So um, how I, the potential is still there for him to be an NFL starter, despite the capital that we saw him get this year. Uh, commanders are going to get trashed. Jaguars, even even though they were really bad at making wide receiver signing <laughs> signing choices with Christian Kirk, Lawrence is going to smash him. So that's 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 fun. I hope that that pans out because Lawrence's passing profile was absurd. He was the perfect quarterback prospect coming out. So that that would be a lot of fun to see. And then yeah, the shootout, great choice of game, man. Like I'm excited to see where the targets go for the Chiefs in Tyreek Hill's absence. Probably not Miko Hardman still because it's Miko Hardman, and uh, <laughs> he'll find a way to disappoint us time and time again. That's 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 what he does. Uh, but Travis Kelsey's still going to absolutely eat, and of course, according to Twitter, Isaiah Pacheco is going to have 17 touchdowns. But uh, th that's just going to be a lot of fun to see how those things play out. Yeah, the the Chiefs depth chart just in general is going to be you know completely turned aside by week one. So yes. Um, but yeah, do you guys have anything else? Uh, Eric, do you have anything else to talk about today? Or I mean, just that I'm so excited that NFL football is here. I mean, week one in the is in the books for the college level, and that's really what I'm more interested in. But hey, NFL is going to happen. What? You know, in less than two hours. You know, <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, you know, Labor Day is it is football time like can we get a hank williams jr like song going right now like i'm pumped yeah yeah well we thank uh, travis for coming on uh you know we really appreciate you joining us and um you know uh please give him a follow on twitter uh, you know check out his content and you know travis if you want to kind of close us out here a little bit with uh you know your content what you want uh where, where people can find you and stuff like that uh, yeah, so you can find me again on Twitter at FF underscore Travis M. You can find my written fantasy work at rotoviz.com. Uh, you can find my college football stat nerdiness at solidverbal.com. And then uh, check out the College to Kenton podcast. I do that with Stefan Leco, uh, covering all things college football to the NFL. Uh, really talking about the, the players uh, from a player focus, their journey from recruit all the way to Hall of Fame discussion. So it's a good time. But thanks again for having me on, guys. It's a good talking ball. But, uh, yeah, enjoy right. the football season. Yeah, thanks, guys. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.